Professor Edward Koizer, founder and CEO of Nextech, believes that we need sustainable approaches to living in a modern society that reduce the rate of consumption of resources and the consequential impact on the planet. We are now witnessing the impact of plastics in the oceans and we need to respond to this with urgency and catch the plastics on land. Recycling of materials such as plastics and packaging is a key way to achieve this important mission. In this episode of Packaging Talks, Professor Koizer, in conversation with Dr. Rangaprasad, shares insights to understand the critical issues to ensure success with plastics recycling. Let's tune in to find out more. Hello everyone and welcome to Packaging Talks, our podcast series brought to you by the Packaging 360 team. Today, our guest is Professor Edward Koizer, who is the founder and CEO of Nextech. Nextech is a consulting service company specializing in the recycling of plastics packaging, PET, HDP, PP, from waste up to food grade quality, as well as developing solutions for very difficult polymer materials and waste. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you, Professor, onto our podcast series. Thank you, Dr. Rangaprasad. It's indeed a pleasure to be here and also to be talking to my friends and colleagues, especially in India. Great affection for everyone there. And uh, we welcome the opportunity to talk about the issues surrounding plastics. Professor, you've done so much of work in the area of plastic uh, recycling. And uh, we've been reading the development of so many recycling technologies, mechanical, chemical, which according to you has the potential to become a commercially acceptable solution? Or if not, then are the solutions polymer specific, right? You know, polyolefins would have a particular recycling technology which may be commercially attractive. Polystyrene or PET may have a different technology or recycling technology which may be. So we'd like to hear from you. What are your thoughts on uh, the commercialization of these technologies? So, so first of all, you're right that uh, we've got many new recycling technologies emerging and i'll i'll make it really quite straightforward that if we talk about mechanical and chemical recycling as two areas there are two distinct things we can say we can build a mechanical recycling operation in every town and every city in the world but with chemical recycling we'd have to build this near a petrochemical complex and that's one of the big differences between the thinking about chemical recycling and uh, mechanical recycling. And so, first of all, we know that mechanical recycling is probably the most commercially acceptable pathway for recycling of plastics. And the thing that we keep promoting, and especially in new installations, is to build the best possible recycling operation that can be done. And so this makes mechanical recycling very commercial and also very competitive with virgin plastic many of the factories that we design for recycling can make materials that go directly into new products so for example perhaps non-food products like detergents and shampoo bottles and many other applications and so this is really the first important point there are also many recycling technologies on the market both simple and also more sophisticated. So you can usually create a mechanical recycling operation that fits the budget and fits the size and the scope of a business idea. With chemical recycling, it needs to be done on a big scale. Um, 
all big chemical manufacturing processes are done in multiples of a hundred thousand or more, much more. And so chemical recycling needs to feed a lot of material into a big plant. And that means there are big logistic issues, gathering material together, bringing it to this plant and then pre-processing it. And the pre-processing could be problematic because chemical recycling uh, will be split into two areas, recycling back into oil-based materials that are fed into a cracker or depolymerization where we break into monomers. Both of those processes are quite specific and different. There's no single process that will take mixed polymers and then convert them directly into new monomers. So I see mechanical recycling as the solution for right now. And in the, gro in the growing years, we will see a greater focus on chemical recycling once we can solve the problems of collecting material and then converting it into a useful carbon-based feedstock for repolymerization. So, and of course, our focus has been mechanical recycling so that we can do things immediately. Okay, that understood. What, in your opinion, is the uh, are your thoughts about inclusion of recycled content, especially in food-grade materials? Uh, a lot of European countries have already uh, approved inclusion of uh, recycled content, and also we see brands uh, being uh, brand owners disclosing this fact. But what are your basic thoughts on this inclusion of recycled content? Right. And what about consumer acceptance? How? What would be the consumer reaction when they come to know that uh, a daily yogurt cup contains 60% of recycled content? Yes, thank you. This is a really important point. First of all, if we're going to have a circular economy in plastics, it means we have to take packaging that's been used, then we have to recycle it back into new packaging. That's a really important point. Now, in the ideal world, we would take food grade packaging and turn it back into food grade. And so where it's possible to do this technically and to also meet the same standards as virgin food grade materials, it should go back into food packaging. And so in Europe, the consumers that see that this packaging is made from recycled materials are really very keen to do that. Now, let me qualify this conditions of making a food grade material are very, very specific and very stringent. So you have to take food packaging that was already been used by consumers and you can only use food packaging into the recycling process. You can't use contaminated materials. You can't use materials from non-packaging or non-food packaging applications. And then the processing has to be an approved process. So the approved process is validated by either EFSA, that's the European Food Standards Authority, or by US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the US. And they have a series of procedures that you have to follow to prove that the material is to a food grade standard. Basically, you have to show that any contaminated material that came from accidental exposure to contaminants could be absolutely decontaminated and brought back to the same condition as food grade materials. And it has to be able to do this under a whole range of adverse conditions. So that means 
you have to have a special and approved process in order to recycle materials back to food grade. And if we're going to solve the problem of plastics going to the environment, we actually need to, we need to put packaging back into food grade applications from food. So then we have a circle. Food grade packaging gets recycled and goes back into food grade packaging. And as I said earlier, disclosure is actually extremely positive in Europe and extremely positive in the United States and, and Australia and elsewhere. And brand owners are looking to disclose this. Now, we know that this is not the case in India and not the case in a number of countries. But I think this is an opportunity for the, the supply chain in the polymer industry, the virgin resin companies, the processing companies, the packaging companies, to all get together to create a circular market for these materials. So hopefully this is something that will happen in a growing number of countries and not just in, say, Europe and the United States. That's very interesting. Of late, we've been seeing a number of high technology uh, innovations like artificial intelligence, near infrared and other advanced technologies being adopted for sorting and separation of uh, individual materials in mixed waste streams. What is the current status of these technologies in terms of adoption by recyclers? And in doing so, does it make the entire process of uh, recycling more uh, costly and therefore the cost of recycled uh, granules more expensive than virgin materials? Okay, another very interesting question. So first of all, let's talk about the sorting technologies that are being used right now across Europe and United States. In those countries, nearly all sorting is not done manually, but it's done by machinery. And the machinery is typically near-infrared detectors. So the machines have both near-infrared detectors to detect the polymer side through the infrared signal. And then they also look at the optical side of things and the optical side of things so that they can detect the color of the item. So we can sort based on polymer and color using near-infrared. Now, we are seeing the adoption of robots such as you're using artificial intelligence to sort on shape. So that technology is just emerging and it's not really uh, fully functioning at this stage. It can work at low rates and it can help, but it's not a primary sorting operation. It, it's just, it slows things down compared to simple NIR. The infrared sorting machines have been around for uh, something of the order of at least 25 years. And the technologies are now very sophisticated. Yes, the machines are expensive, but a near-infrared sorting machine can sort five tons per hour. And if you were trying to do that with sorting by people, it would need something like 50 people working on this to get equivalent sorting rates. And of course, machines can actually see the molecular signature and people people can't. So if you have coloured items, um, the machines can actually do a better job. So I think the way we see this happening is near-infrared sorting will progressively be adopted very widely. And they are very productive machines. And the increase in throughput and the increase in quality 
will probably counterbalance the increase in cost. Now, you mentioned that this makes recycled materials more expensive than virgin. Well, it is not necessarily the case. For many years, companies have been using near infrared for sorting uh, and recycling of plastics, and the cost of that material, the sales price, has been less than virgin. We are now seeing many materials being costing more than virgin. Now, this is a matter of quality, for example, food grade quality. Food grade quality takes extra steps, and those extra steps will incur a higher cost. And the other factor is supply and demand. Demand for recycled material of high quality is uh, very high, and it exceeds supply. So naturally, companies are putting their prices up because they can sell at a higher price. And my advice to recyclers who are in the business of recycling is to make the highest possible quality of recycled material to tight specifications because it gives them the best business result. And of course, it then means that more people will look for material and take this away from the post-consumer area and put it into the recycling stream. Now, I've only mentioned NIR and um, artificial intelligence. The other work that's happening now is in the area of intelligent markers. And there are two technologies that I'll mention briefly. One is on the use of fluorescent markers, which is something that we have had a major role in developing. And we can say that we can use a range of fluorescent markers that can be used in sympathy and, and can work hand in hand with near infrared sorting machines. And this allows an extra step in the sorting to be achieved by giving a signal to the machine that this is, for example, a food grade package, or it could be that it's a bio-based material, or the signal might say it's a compostable material. So this new dimension to sorting can be achieved just by adding a fluorescent marker to a label onto a product, typically a rigid product and probably not a film. But the other area of technology that people are talking about are digital watermarks, which comes from the print on a label. And the digital watermark is often talked about as sorting technology. And it can do so, but the rates of operation and the technology is requires a whole new generation of machines that very much more expensive and, and at the moment limited in speed. So they are probably something that may come in the future, even though it may be useful in things like a supermarket area where it may replace the conventional barcode. But of course, the conventional barcode is already there and working very well. So why do we need to change to a digital watermark? It doesn't seem to make a lot of business sense in that area. So. My, my sort of round summary in this area is the simplest way of sorting is by hand, but the fastest and most economic way of sorting plastics is by automatic sorting machines using near infrared and visible. And so, and there are new technologies like robotic picking and markers, which will come in the future. So hopefully that gives you a quick synopsis of where we are. Yes, Professor, that was quite a useful insight. Now, shifting gears, uh, the other end of the spectrum, companies and especially food and beverage brand owners are also talking about an out-of-box concept called the paper bottle. 
and also coffee packaging is moving more towards compostable packaging concepts. So we just like to hear how do you assess these two concepts and uh, is there a commercial potential for these kind of packaging in the near future? Yes, th- these are very important topical questions because um, everybody wants to make more sustainable packaging. So let's talk a little bit about compostable and biodegradable packaging first and foremost, and then we'll talk about the paper bottle second. The focus for compostable packaging is that the material will compost. In other words, it will be eaten by bacteria that we can find in nature, and these materials will break down within six months. This means that the polymer has to be more or less readily digestible. And the the molecules that we can use that are compostable are either based on cellulose or starch. And there are some others that can also be compostable. You know, for example, PHA can be compostable, polyhydroxyalkanoates. But these materials are relatively expensive for a start. So we are talking about expensive materials that at the end of life, we end up putting into a compost and of course they break down into carbon dioxide and water. So we don't have anything to show uh, at the end of compostable materials. And in the area of so-called biodegradable materials, for example, polylactic acid or PLA, you may need to use elevated temperatures to initiate the biodegradation. So it requires a special treatment. And again, we end up with carbon dioxide and water as the end product. Now, if you can imagine a world where we use plastics in large quantities, uh, imagine if everything was compostable or biodegradable. We would be waiting six months or we would need lots of processing facilities to deal with all the materials that we have used once. And then we're saying, right, now we're going to return them to carbon dioxide and water. And we don't have the facilities to do it. And it's also not a very good good mass balance to make materials and then convert them back to carbon dioxide and water. And then we have to start the whole process again of creating new materials, which of course is terribly wasteful for land and for energy and fertilizers and other things where we use bio-based materials. So I don't see compostable and biodegradable materials replacing the very efficient petroplastics. Now, These plastics that we use now based on fossil fuels can be reused and recycled if we take care on the sorting and using high-quality recycling steps. And this way, we can actually replace virgin plastics from being made and still end up with a useful material that can be used many times. And we've actually uh, recycled plastics between 10 and 14 times and seen very good properties at the end of that life provided we don't have contamination. So this is the key thing. High quality recycling will be a much better choice than compostable or biodegradable. And I know people say, what happens when plastics end up in a river or end up in the ocean and they have a negative impact? Well, the answer there is, you know, why does this material ever enter the water stream or or the rivers or the oceans? And the key answer to that lies in you know, what is the waste management system in that area. And often that's what's missing, which causes people to say, let's make things compostable. 
when they really should be saying, let's collect the waste that we have. Let's create a strong recycling system where everything is picked up and collected and reused, you know, like PET bottles in India and like PET bottles in, in uh, Japan where they recycle 90%. China recycles over 80% of its PET bottles. So it can be done quite easily. But let's talk about that paper bottle that food and beverage companies are putting out. So it's an interesting concept to make a paper bottle, but of course it's a paper bottle with a plastic lining on the inside. And the paper bottle on the outside is a water-resistant paper coating. So that means if we're trying to recycle this paper bottle, where do we take it? Who is going to recycle it? The people who make the bottle can't recycle it because it's a composite of these materials. And the paper recyclers can't recycle it, even though it's called a paper bottle, but they know that it's water-resistant and they can't pulp the water-resistant material. So even though we can potentially make it, we don't have anyone to recycle it. So, And if we discard it into the environment, and heaven help us if we do that, we'll have all these materials that they may, may have been made from water-resistant paper, but they're just going to lie around the environment, um, creating more more litter and more impact on the environment. So my in my view, I would be saying the paper bottle is a concept that companies are, are trying to put out because they believe people will think it's a better package environmentally, whereas in reality, it's not better. And in many ways, I can imagine it being much worse if there's no collection and if there's no recycling of those resources. So hopefully you get my idea that the way we need to head forward is to be very good at recycling, very good at collecting, very good at, at recycling into high quality materials, and then create a circular economy for all the materials we, we make. I mean, I'm, we're talking about plastics, but it has to go to all the materials we use in the uh, industrial environment. Thank you, Professor Koizer, for giving us uh, deep insights into this complex area of both recycling as well as uh, compostable and biodegradable packaging. Very interesting uh, subject, but a lot of unsolved problems still work in progress at the moment. Thank you for sharing your time. And we look forward to more engaging conversations with you in the future as well. Thank you for being on Packaging Talks. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to, to be here and share, share the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Packaging Talks powered by Packaging 360. Hope you enjoyed this episode and do tune in for the next episode of Packaging Talks.